Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode of the Vegan Pod 2023. January is a time for fresh starts, resolutions and making positive changes for the year ahead. One thing lots of people are considering this year is their environmental impact. A Vegan Society survey has found that over half of Brits plan to make a resolution this year with an environmental goal in mind. In this episode, we'll be exploring the reasons to live a low-waste lifestyle and asking whether a low-waste mindset goes hand-in-hand with veganism. Cutting out meat and dairy has a hugely positive environmental impact, but should we also be considering cutting down on waste such as single-use plastic? Much to the joy of vegans, the supermarket shelves are now full of convenient plant-based products, but these often come in lots of packaging. Is opting to eat animal-free enough, or should we be more considerate of the other environmental implications of the products we purchase? Joining me today to discuss this, we have Camilla Gaylardin, co-founder of vegan and zero-waste care brand Millie and Sissy, and Gita Marie Johansson, sustainability expert and zero-waste blogger. Welcome, both of you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you on the show and it's a pleasure to be talking about this subject, actually, because as a vegan, it's, it's a quagmire, isn't it? You know, we, we come to veganism for different reasons, um, but then it sometimes it's not just enough to not be eating animal products, because the more you you sort of dive into it, the more you become concerned about your your footprint on the on the earth generally. Um, so I'm going to ask you both about about your vegan journey. Um, or your low waste journey as well in this case um did one thing lead to another what came first in it so i find with this i'm always using expressions that are very unvegan in this chicken and egg way <laughs> which which came first Gita marie i'll ask you first you can always see like, i don't know the, the tree or the acorn i don't know ah, there tree might or be... the acorn okay that's much better i'll, I'll there make might a note be of that different for future ways. reference <laughs> I think it was so funny that you said sort of that being vegan is not enough and looking at single-use plastic is perhaps another step that a lot of consumers can take because because for me it was the completely other way around. So I started a sort of zero waste experiment back in 2015 where I just on a whim decided that it could be funny to try and reduce my waste to nothing over the course of 30 days. And I documented that process online and that really quickly became... I don't want to say obsession, um, but I'm going to say obsession. So I just kept going and, and low key, we're still in the experiment phase now, seven years later. So, so for me, zero waste came first and waste reduction and plastic reduction came first. And I actually, I was a quite bit long way into my zero waste sustainability journey before I even started to consider cutting out meat and dairy. I went to the local butcher shops and the local cheese shops with my own glass and my jars and my containers. And I thought, perfect, zero waste. It couldn't be better. My bin is empty. So my footprint must be nothing. And I got a lot of comments online, actually, and some of them were, were pretty rude because whenever you do anything online, obviously someone is <laughs> going to be rude about it. That's just a given. But I also got a lot of curious comments, a lot of people sort of just asking me, well, have you considered these in- invisible aspects of the way that we live? And it took me a long time to figure out that perhaps I had to look at impacts I couldn't see or impacts that didn't wind up in my bin. I actually, even before I got to that point, 
I made a video called why I will never be vegan oh and posted that on YouTube. <laughs> and things are on the internet forever now. Things Peter are definitely <laughs> on, on the internet forever at this point. Um, and I've been a vegan for five years now. So never looking back. It's, it's a really, really great thing that I ended up changing my mind on that one. That's interesting that the zero waste come, comes first, whatever gets you there, I think. Yeah, um, sure. and, and Camilla, I know that you are mostly vegan, mostly plant-based. Um, uh, uh, what, what took, when did that begin for you? Yeah, so I'm about 95% plant-based, I would say, which was um, started a long, long time ago. So I haven't been eating any meat products for over 30 years now. Um, and relatively recently I've really cut back on dairy um, so I don't drink dairy milk um, I eat my own chickens eggs which makes me non-vegan and I do have to confess to eating a little bit of uh, cheese I live actually live in France and it's very difficult here to get any vegan products so um, whilst you can get some pre-packaged vegan things um, it's not such an extensive range as you find in the UK so my journey really started the um, plant-based journey much, um, much earlier on than my low-waste journey. So um, uh, my low-waste journey has been in my conscience, I'd say, for quite some time because the whole environmental situation was, I was very much aware of it um, probably a couple of decades ago. And I've always been quite surprised with how low on the... Um, sort of politicians agenda it's been until relatively recently because it's been such a, a growing crisis if you like you would have imagined it to have been much earlier on on the agenda of the uh, environment of the primarily politicians I would say because um, it's been growing to such an extent that um, it's surprising that it has only relatively recently become much, um, you know, much more out there really for the general public's awareness. Um, and so for me, because I'm interested in the environment and animals, for me, there is very much a, a link into the two of them. And I think probably um, Gita Marie, I think now you're you know, on your low, low waste journey, you've become much more aware of the impacts that animals or intensive farming has on the environment. And so you can see that there is a very strong interconnection, a very strong link between both. And so I think no matter where you start, whether it's in um, plant-based eating or whether it's in a low waste journey, eventually you're going to find your way into the other side of the story as well. And it will be... Um, uh, like you found Gita Marie, it's going to, you know, you're going to end up being conscious of both sides, I would say. Absolutely agree. It's, um, it's really interesting. Um, well, a couple of things there that you say it's hard living in France. I spend quite a lot of time in France myself, and it is very hard to be vegan there. But they're very good at recycling um, over there. And it's kind of one of those things that's sort of cultural, as far as I can see, you know, that they have all the recycling bank. You have to take it yourself. I mean, we're not very good at it here and someone comes and collects it from you. But I find in France, they're quite good. It's that cultural thing, isn't it? Of course, it's, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's still a waste at the point of purchase. Yeah. Um, but people are quite good at taking it to be recycled. And the other thing you mentioned about, you know, being surprised at how low down on the political agenda 
you know, the environment is generally, and also how low down on the media agenda. I can't believe how, you know, it's like an and finally sometimes in the news when we break some kind of temperature rise boundary and it's just like, oh, and today we found out that, you know, we're this much higher than pre-industrial levels and now the sport, you know, and it's like, yeah. it blows my mind sometimes that it isn't, um, you know, that people aren't screaming from the rooftops about it. Well, um, absolutely, I agree. I mean, it's a, it's a, such a topic that I feel so passionate about. You know, it's you're reading in the press about, you know, the floods in California. You know, they've been in, in a drought situation for years and years, and now they're getting floods, which won't actually, in effect, help the drought so much. Um, and, and somehow it's separated from this overall massive issue that we're faced with. And even though we know how big the problem is, there is still so little being done about it. Mm. It's exasperating. So zero waste is a great place. Low waste is a great place we can all start and all get a bit involved yeah. in. Yeah. Um, Gita Marie, um, you know, you said you started this sort of experiment. Um, what what motivated, you know, it sounds like you started it on a whim I don't mean to belittle it but it sounds like you just went I'm going to do this thing you know what yeah. motivated you to do it and what um and what kept you because it can't be easy really really I mean I try to be low waste but I'm in the supermarket and I go I want that thing and it's in a packet but I want it so I'm going to buy it you know and I can and I often say well you know but I don't you know but I'm vegan so I'm doing that bit for the environment and you know I don't there's lots of other things I don't do that I think are good you know I don't fly and all sorts of things um but it is very difficult to cut it out so so you know what made you start and how have you kept going so diligently so the the sort of way I came into the zero waste movement was I learned one bit of information that just sparked both fury and anger, but also curiosity for me. And I learned that every bit of plastic I've ever had my hands on still exists somewhere because plastic is made of a fossil material. So it doesn't biodegrade, it doesn't go away, it doesn't disappear. Even when we burn it, there will still be particles from this material left everywhere on earth. I learned this bit of information and then I started to think about every bit of plastic that I surrounded myself with in my everyday life. Now, I don't come from a specifically sustainable or environmentally conscious household. I grew up with very normal, like everyday sustainability bits, like save on water, like don't leave the tap running, turn off the lights, don't litter nature, these sorts of things that we all know and we all do, even people that don't necessarily review themselves as conscious consumers. Um, but I did grow up thrifting quite a lot, not out of the uh, like the environment, but because of uh, money issues. So we were conscious in another kind of way. But I don't come from a specific like super hippie uh, background where everybody just found this to be very, very easy. And sometimes people assume that when you're doing something like this in your adult life, you've done it throughout your entirety of your existence, which hasn't been the case here. Um, I used to work in fashion and worked with the Danish Fashion Week in Copenhagen and wanted to work in the fashion industry, which is a completely different, very different track from what I'm doing now, so to speak. So I learned this bit of information and then I started to search online for ways to reduce waste. And that led me very, very quickly to the zero waste movement. Now, the zero waste movement in the in, in 2015, in 2014, where I sort of ran into it for the first time, is very different from what it is today, luckily, I would say. So there was this 
absolute like like hyper focus on the trash jar if anyone has ever researched zero waste or looked at it online you will still be able to find these pictures of waste in a little mason jar that mm. was supposed to represent the amount of trash this person has generated over the course of several years which uh, today I talk a lot about how that's sort of a perfect ideal that I often describe as the skinny supermodel of zero waste, because it's not necessarily possible, as you say, when you're in the supermarket, everything is packaged in plastic. If you don't have a bulk shop accessible to you, supermarkets are your only option. I had a blog already on, on online and I asked people, do you kind of want to see me, what I can do if I can reduce my waste to zero? Is that something people would be interested in? And apparently a lot of people thought that was a really good idea. Now we did have some talk about zero waste, both in the UK and in the US. I was one of the first people to talk about it in Denmark. So I did decide to do my platform in English instead, just to reach as many people as possible. And from there, it's just been a learning process really. And that I think is what keeps me motivated overall is that I'm learning with people that follow me and I'm getting advice and, and tips and recommendations from people that follow me as well. So in that way, we sort of created a little community where everybody's helping each other. And I think that's something that's one of the most important things when it comes to sustainability and trying to reduce your waste, animal products, whatever, sort of like having a community, having people that are like-minded that you can talk to is so, so, so important. It's incredibly difficult to do any of these things and keep doing them and keep being motivated if you're by yourself. It's a really good point. So the community is what keeps you going, because I think well, I think I need to get a better zero waste community around myself then to inspire me. Um, Camilla, the ethos of your company is very much rooted in helping to reduce our negative impact on the environment. So what mm -hmm. made, motivated you to go down this route and start a low waste company? Yeah, sure. So um, Millie and Sissy is actually myself and my sister who are the co-founders of the, of the company. And we'd been wanting to start a business together for many years, but never could really find something that um, that we wanted to do. And once we'd found a manufacturer that um, had products that were in zero waste, which absolutely followed our own values, um, that's when Million City was really first started because it fits in so closely with what we're passionate about. Um, and there's a greater interest in low waste products nowadays. It was really ideal for us to base our business on that. So. Um, it was um, once we'd found the manufacturer, it was there was no um, no hesitation whatsoever. And so what what you know, give us an idea of the range of products you sell and what's different about them to, yeah. to the, the standard products of those kinds. OK, so the range of products that are in uh, within the Million Sissy range are hand washers, body washers, shampoos and deodorants. And we've got some more in the pipeline coming up within the next couple of months as well. Um, the, the reason they're very different from what you see in the supermarket. So let's say, for example, you want to go and get a hand wash from the supermarket. Well, have a vast array of choice. And I would say 95% of that choice comes in plastic packaging. And it's single use plastic packaging. So you buy it, you use it for, let's say, a month, and then it goes in the bin. And like Gita Marie said, they, that never goes away. That plastic just never goes away. And so there's two hotspots in the home, which is the um, kitchen and the bathroom. And these two areas are um, where you find you've got a huge amount of plastic waste. And so what we're looking to do within our range is to 
um, really introduce and replace some of those products that we that we use on a daily basis with plastic free alternatives or zero waste alternatives. So not only are our products are in powder form, which you add water to so that it comes in liquid form. So very much the same format that we're used to using. And the sachets that the powder comes in is totally compostable. So it's just made of craft paper with a liner that's made from cornstarch, which can be totally compostable. So you, if you're looking to reduce your waste, one good way of doing that is to get a compost bin or just put, if you've got a big garden or a garden, you can just put your waste in a corner of that and put a lid on it and it will just do its thing. So it's it's super easy. Um, so there's a zero waste component in our, in our range, which is quite unique. There are no other products out there in terms of personal care at the moment. So it's a very unique range of products. Um, they're all based on vegan formulations and certified by the Vegan Society. Um, they're also um, certified by the Leaping Bunny Cruelty Free Association as well. Um, um, well, our formulations are 99.7% natural based ingredients, um, and they are also hypoallergenic. So they're great for people that have got sensitive skin. So it, they're a really good option and cover so many of the... Um, tick boxes if you're looking to go down a more natural route if you're looking for vegan products or if you're looking for low low waste alternatives and has it been well received by customers i'm i'm assuming that they're, they're seeking you out because of your zero waste waste credentials yeah it's been really really well received by customers because the awareness level awareness levels are really growing in terms of the environmental situation we're currently facing and um I think people are nowadays more aware generally of our cri the crisis, the plastic that we're using, the single use plastic. And so people are sort of hunting out more um, environmentally friendly alternatives. So um, we're, we are available in some of the bigger shops, so like Boots, for example, Holland and Barrett, Selfridges. Um, so some of the more mainstream uh, retailers but also in some of the smaller independents as well. So yes, it's been super well received. And what we particularly love is when people give us feedback on our website, because it's, it's always delightful to, to read some of the positive feedback that we get. So yeah, very well received, I'd say. Good, excellent news. Um, I love the idea that it's in powder form as well. It feels like you're doing your own alchemy when you're washing your hair, you know. Absolutely. It's an exciting product that you get to be part of the, almost part of the manufacturing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, Gita Marie, we talked, I talked a little bit about um, recycling earlier and, and that's important. And I think I just want to talk about why that isn't enough, because I think we can all get, I think we're all a bit tick boxy, aren't we, with, with life? You know, like I mentioned, people say, well, I do this. I don't drive very much, so I'm doing my bit for the environment or whatever it might be. And I think if people put their recycling out, then they feel that they have done their bit. But, you know. But that, you know, I, I know myself, that is an awful lot of stuff. You know, my recycling is greater than my other rubbish. And I try very hard to make very little rubbish generally, but it's it's a lot of stuff each week, even when you're being conscious. Why is recycling not enough, Gita Marie? So I used to say, or I usually say that recycling is a great place to start, but it's a bad place to stop. Sort of the same way where I now also say that zero waste is a great way to get into sustainability because it's very physical. It's a physical representation of lowering your impact. And that can be really motivating, especially if you're in the beginning of your journey. In a similar fashion, if you have very little experience with lowering your waste, lowering your impact, starting out, finding out exactly 
what kind of trash can be recycled? What can I do? Sorting it right is a great place to start in terms of like a little bit higher up in terms of, sort of governance, et cetera, for companies and for, for society as well, a great place to start. However, there is the fact that recycling is not a perfect system. It's actually very, very, very broken in many, many places in the world, including in Denmark and the UK. So the materials that we recycle cannot necessarily be recycled forever. We have materials like glass that can be recycled indefinitely in a closed loop if treated right. And we have some certain metals that can also be recycled in a closed loop forever if they are treated right, but they are not necessarily. But then we have plastic, which is what we usually end up talking about when we talk about rubbish. And plastic can on average be recycled one to three times. Then we have to add new virgin plastic to the material in order to uphold its quality. So even when we are using 100% recycled plastic, or even when we're using plastic and saying, well, it gets recycled, so at least that's something. It's not a, it's not a process that's completely removed from the production of new plastic anyway. And even recycled plastic will still emit, uh, and even recycled plastic will still emit carbon emissions and it will still release microplastics and eventually it will still end up in landfills. So while I think it's great that we recycle and repurpose all the materials that we have created on earth now, we also have to look at we also have to look at how to reduce the amount of rubbish that we're creating, but because we do have an issue with that, especially in our parts of the world. We're producing way, way, way too much. I guess one of the main reasons for that being that everything that has to do with rubbish is and taking care of it is left on the shoulders of the consumers. Very, very few companies are taking responsibility for the packaging that they're creating. So I think there is an issue of how to probably introduce uh, systems in order for in order to make it easier for consumers to reduce plastic and recycle. But we also have to hold companies accountable in a political way. Camilla mentioned, you know, about how low down it seemed to be on the political agenda. And, and you mentioned there, you know, it's the, the responsibilities left on the shoulders of the consumer. And I feel like that that is seeming to be happening more and more in all aspects of the environment that, exactly. you know, that, uh, you know, it's up to us whether we buy an electric car, but then actually there isn't necessarily really the, the um, you know, the charging points and the infrastructure to support that because no one's pushing that agenda forward. And I think it, it happens in so many aspects of, um, you know, the environmental world, which is obviously, you know, very upsetting, really, because because you often feel like you can't do enough but obviously obviously there is a little bit more you can do and actually food waste in itself I mean we're talking about you know the waste of products predominantly here things that have had to be made and then will potentially not disappear as you say they're going to stay around forever um, but actual food waste because of all the effort and the, that has gone into manufacturing that food to begin with to then throw it away is incredible you know has a huge impact on the environment so that's also something you know that we all ought to be thinking about and um, so I mentioned that there are a wide range of products in shops now for vegans sorry not for you Camilla because you're in France where if you're lucky there's I mean what they do have is lovely vegetables in France but not so many products on the shelves if you wanted to buy something uh, pre-prepared um, but it's it's a, it's difficult isn't it because they are often very processed maybe not very good for us um, and they come in plastic packaging um, how do you feel about the um, increase of vegan products versus the the waste that often comes along with it 
so I actually, and I've, I've been asked this, I think perhaps a million times on, on social media, because I guess it's one of the things that people often end up wondering about, you know, because we're talking about reducing waste, but we're also definitely talking about reducing the animal agriculture sector. And I would like to say this, on average, the impact of the packaging of a product accounts for about 12% of the overall impact of that product. And, and, and that has sort of to do with there's all sorts of other things like, like transport, production, material sourcing, all this kind of stuff. But packaging itself, on average, accounts for about 12%. Um, and I, I actually today, I looked at a comment on one of my recent videos that, that asked me sort of what is better to buy milk from a cow in glass or to buy Tetra Pak plant milk. Even in that situation, if we're only looking at impact, if we're only looking at carbon emissions, it would be better to buy packaged plant-based foods than buying anything in bulk or anything in glass or reusable packaging that comes from the animal agriculture sector. Of course, this impact is different when we're looking at backyard chickens, backyard cows, etc. But if we're looking at the industry, I really, I, I, I urge people to care less about packaging or to choose at least if they only have the option to to choose one of them. I think that's a real dilemma for a lot of people, isn't it? You know, really, I, I think it's really fabulous that there are so, there's so much choice now out there for vegan alternatives to meat, and I think it's a great place for people to. I think the fact it's raising awareness to um, a plant based diet. Um, normalizing it just for the you know for the average person um, because veganism used to be such a such a niche wasn't it and, and and seemed to be quite odd actually if you if you turned up at somebody's house and say you're vegan they wouldn't have a clue what to do with you it's but now yeah quite extreme um, and but nowadays it's quite it's it's much more normalized and I think that the fact that there is so much choice there is uh, fabulous However, you're always faced with that dilemma, like a little bit like the um, organic vegetables dilemma. So organic vegetables in packaging or non-organic veg vegetables loose. So, oh, yeah. so it's a really good point that you've made there and really helps clarify it, I think, when you stood there with your sort of dilemma. For people like me and you, you know, eating meat is not a choice. So that wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't even be a, a, a problem. But for people that are moving into a more plant-based diet, then, you know, it's a, it's a really good um, piece of information to, to have at hand. And obviously, um, you know, it's January as we make this podcast and Veganuary is a big thing and lots of people will begin their vegan journey in January. I actually began my vegan journey in a January, but uh, it wasn't for Veganuary. It was just completely, it was after Christmas, it was all the excess and my daughter was already vegan and she said to me, I think you should think about cutting out dairy. And that was how I started and that was in a January, but it does seem like a good time of year um, to do it. Do you feel that while somebody is committing to that even if they're just committing to it for a month um and so often you know people then go on to stay with it but do you feel they should also say and i'm going to commit to a reduction in my waste and make that part of that commitment because they do go so hand in hand they do so go hand in hand but what i would say to people is um do what you can do i think 
there's always a temptation to, um, you know, for, for people like us that have been involved in it for so long, and it's quite easy once you've been doing it for quite a while, I would say, and you found different alternatives. I think for anybody starting out, it can become a little overwhelming. So I would hate to put anybody off um, by saying, well, if you're doing that, you should be doing this too. And I would just say, take it step by step and do, do what you can as you can. Because I think once you're involved in it, so if people are going, um, doing the Veganuary, or even if they're just doing sort of a vegan meal per, per week, I think once they discover um, a little more about it, then that encourages people to go and do more anyway. So I try not to overwhelm people. I don't know what your thoughts are, Gita Marie. So I actually think that that saying that, well, if you're trying to cut out animal product, you should also definitely be looking at reducing your plastic can be very detrimental if people have no prior experience with changing their lifestyles. And I usually compare it to, well, you just started walking. Why aren't you running a marathon? Why aren't you training for the marathon now? You just started crawling. You can easily do that. I, I always encourage people to do one thing, try it out, normalize it, make it routine, make it habit, and then build on top of that. So I've been doing this since 2015 and I'm still not perfect. And I also stopped trying to be because it's absolutely impossible anyway, but we can still learn and do and improve. And I think that is so much, I think it's so much more motivating and encouraging for other people to talk to and hear that narrative rather than being met with, well, I'm trying to do something. Well, one, aren't you doing everything then? I don't think that that's very helpful, at least. I think it's a completely different thing when we're talking uh, about a political system or we're talking about a company. Well, then I think you can demand a lot more from those people than you can from an individual consumer. So I think that's one of the instances where I think we should talk about holding the right people responsible because a lot of consumers don't have any other choice but to buy things in plastic. But we do everyone basically everybody now we have food deserts and we have like people below the poverty line but the average consumer have the opportunity to reduce their meat and dairy that's we all have that opportunity at least to reduce but we do not all have the opportunity to be zero waste for instance that it does come with some sort of privilege and i think in that regard it would be very helpful to not demand consumers take responsibility or the entire responsibility for the plastic that they're producing. And I actually, I read an article, it made me furious. I was very, I, was very, <laughs> I had the worst day. <laughs> so this article said, the, the headline was, consumers of 2022 loves plastic. And I already knew where this was going a little bit. And it was about how much plastic uh, consumers in Europe are using today. And I was just thinking to myself, consumers don't love plastic because we're using a lot of it. We are, we are held hostage by plastic. Most people don't have a choice. And yeah, that does make it seem like we are preferring to buy it because we are all buying it. But it's because there is basically no other option. We, we have to look so far and wide for, for a small, tiny alternative. Uh, and especially when it comes to food products, it is becoming more available with skincare and beauty products, which I think is amazing. It's a great place to look at reducing waste as well. With food, we're, we still have a long way to go if, if we're looking at vegan products as well. They're all wrapped in plastic. But I don't think it should be consumer's issue or a consumer responsibility alone. 
That's a very good point. And uh, obviously, Camilla, with Millie and Sissy, you know, you're making really good inroads in in uh, the hotspots that uh, Gita Marie mentioned. I like that idea that you've got the, the, the kitchen and the bathroom being the, the kind of yeah. hotspots. Actually, was it you that mentioned that, Camilla, the hotspots? Yeah. I can't remember. Was it you, Camilla? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned you, you, you're both mentioning so many wonderful things. I can't remember. Uh, so, so, yes, you mentioned the hotspots um, of the kitchen and the bathroom, Camilla, which obviously you're you're nailing quite nicely. Gita Marie what you know I hear what you're saying it's not the consumer's responsibility it shouldn't be the consumer's responsibility um, but obviously we are faced with these choices all the time and some people might be listening going well I just can't even begin to think what I would do if I couldn't buy you know my my washing detergent in plastic I don't know where else to go I mean there are bulk shops but if you were just if I was about to set off today and do my normal thing and go to my normal supermarket but I was to try to be uh, you know, really waste conscious, what sort of quick things could I do a little sort of swap on in my head and go, ah, okay, I'll get that instead of that. Okay, so of course, you can always start by bringing your own totes. Uh, it's such an easy swap. At this point, we are getting tote bags thrown at us by promotional companies and wherever I know, I don't know where I end up accumulating my own tote bags. But they, I, I think they might be creating themselves at this point. A lot of consumers have them lying around. And we I don't love know the idea that like, like some kind of amoeba, they're multiplying. They are. I don't know where they're coming from. I keep saying no to them. Anyway, <laughs> I, I take those to the shop. And that's first step. Step number one. If you're going for fruit and veg, a lot of the time you can get like these small see-through plastic bags to separate your, your vegetables and your produce. Don't use those. Simply just put them into your, your shopping basket or put them into a, a little bag you, you brought from home. Super easy. Then I like to take a look at the seasonal locally produced produce because those things are usually less wrapped in plastic or generally minimally packaged in terms of, uh, of both plastic, paper, whatever. And things that are imported and out of season are usually packaged a little bit more heavily because of transportation. So when it comes to vegetables, that's sort of usually where I go. And then I take the loose produce whenever I can. And when it comes to dry things or like tinned things, we have metal tins that are easily recyclable that I will choose over plastic any day. And then I go for dried foods in paper or glass, but, but usually paper because glass is quite impact heavy. It has a huge carbon footprint both to produce and to transport so paper, I, I use quite a lot. You can both get rice, um, flour, sugar, pasta, all these kinds of things you can get without plastic in many different shops uh, and not like specialty shops, but just normal stores. Of course, it differs a lot from, from store to store what their selection is. Um, and when it comes to things like laundry detergent, for instance, I actually just get my laundry detergent from a normal grocery store that carry a, the powders in a normal paper bag. Okay. Brilliant. So nothing fancy. And we can all start doing these small things and simply just choose a product that is packaged in a way that fits or that feels in alignment with our values a little bit more. That also signals to the company and to other companies that, oh, consumers are choosing this sort of packaging and perhaps leaving other types of products in other types of packaging on the shelves maybe we should adjust, maybe we should try to reduce our packaging as well. Just so just in, to add on to that, one of the other areas that um, I'm very conscious of when I'm going around supermarkets is in the drinks department. So I'll never buy a drink in a plastic bottle. So I've switched over to a soda stream so I can do my own um, fizzy water. 
And um, if ever I buy sort of fizzy drinks, I just buy them in, in, a, in a can, which, you know, again, it's not ideal, but it's just better than the plastic alternative in, in my mind. It's um, it is. the thing that Gita Marie mentioned earlier about, you know, this uh, recycling plastic is a good place to start. It's but not the best place to finish. It's a good little expression that. And I think once you start to understand some of the statistics about plastic um, that have been mentioned today, but others as well, once people get that in the mind, um, they'll start and look for alternatives themselves. And one interesting fact I always find about plastic is um, there's around every year, there's around 350 million tons of plastic produced, which is similar in weight to the entire population of people on the planet which wow. is an incredible amount and that's every single year which is due to grow by 40 percent by 2050 and that plastic never goes away wow. so it's you know it's a really mind-blowing thought when when you think about that and hold that in your mind when you when you've got a a bottle of hand wash uh, in your hand you know you've got to think is it worth buying this for this plastic bottle to be around when my children, uh, children's children's children are, you know, still around. So it's, it's, I think when you get that kind of perspective, it really makes you think really quite hard about your choices. Mm. So it makes you start and seek out, you know, your washing detergent from maybe a subscription offer where you have these little paper things that you put in instead of instead of liquid, for example, um, our hand wash, our body products would be another very good example. <laughs> um, but there are lots of online marketplaces now where who are offering plastic free products. You know, there is a there's a website called Plastic Freedom, which um, offers, you know, their whole range of products with without any plastic in it. So. Places like that, I think once you start investigating, you'll find your own sources that you can either order online um, and, and just start and make a few switches. And I think once you start your journey, then it really encourages you to look at further, you know, look at alternative places to buy your things from, for example. I think if you just stick to the top four supermarkets, it makes it very, very tricky. The supermarkets themselves are doing very little to make change. So again, it's left with the individual consumer to be making the changes themselves. Thank you both very much. Really interesting and enlightening conversation. And I think you're, you know, you're absolutely right when you say it shouldn't be the consumer having to make the decision. But if we do make those good choices and that filters back to the producers and the people who manufacture these things and sell these products, and then they might start changing. But it does feel sometimes like you're having to turn a very large ship very, very slowly. Mm. Um, but it, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Camilla and Gita Marie, for contributing to this great discussion. I'm sure it's given everyone some food for thought on low waste living and given us some excellent tips on reducing our environmental impact. Uh, Shop Vegan trademarked 
uh, brand Millie and Sissy at millionsissy.co.uk and find them on Instagram at millionsissy. And for a discount on their products, you can sign up as a member of the Vegan Society at vegansociety.com forward slash join us. And for more advice on zero waste living, follow Gita Marie on and her environmental work on Instagram at Gita Marie, spelled like Gita Mary, but you'll find her. There aren't many on there. Uh, and if you'd like to let us know your thoughts about low waste lifestyles, you can email us on podcast at vegansociety.com or follow us on Twitter at Vegan Society or on Instagram at the original Vegan Society or on Facebook. We'll be back for another episode of the Vegan Pod next month. So if you've enjoyed the discussion today, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you both.